Turn with me to Matthew 10. I'm going to be in Matthew for the first few passages. Matthew 10 to start with. Um, and I am really enjoying this series, Slow. Um, those of you who know me and have heard me before, I don't love September usually. But I have to say that this September I've probably enjoyed more than any other one because I think I have begun to take on board some of these things that we've been talking about, this whole idea of slowing down and instead of feeling the need to just ramp everything up and keep all the plates spinning, I've just felt more of a permission just to go, oh, it's okay. I don't have to do that. That doesn't have to be the way I live. There's another way, there's another rhythm to live life than what the world all around me is telling me to live. And um, I have uh, been practicing Sabbath for a whole um, five weeks and fell off the wagon yesterday. I feel the need to confess publicly in front of everyone. It says it's good to confess your sins one to another. So I'm doing that this morning. Uh, yes, I just didn't plan my week well enough. And yesterday I was still working on my talk. And do you know what I felt like? I felt like I was cheating myself all day. That's how it felt. I thought, I am totally cheating myself. There's no one else I can be annoyed with apart from me. So next time I'm speaking, you're going to all hold me accountable. I'm going to really work hard again to have it done before Saturday, before Friday, so that I can actually enjoy my Sabbath and really benefit from having that time. For me, it's more of a mental break than it is in a physical break. So can I encourage you, if you haven't started that practice yet, please start it. You will be surprised at how quickly, that's five weeks in and I was feeling the difference when I didn't do it. So it's really amazing how quickly the benefit of that and the benefit of the things in the Bible begin to take a hold on our lives. So Matthew 10, verse 9 to 11, it says this. And I'm going to read this because I have it all marked. Okay. Bear with, bear with, as Miranda says. Do you have any Miranda fans in the house? No? Okay. <laughs> That's as far as my uh, Miranda impressions go. You will all be glad. Bear with, okay. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey, or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Now, in this context, Jesus was sending out his disciples out on their first real missions trip, we missionary expedition. And what he's saying to them is, take nothing with you. Now, that wouldn't be, I mean, we send people out on missions trips all the time. And part of the big part of my job with a lot of things is that I'm to kind of keep everybody organized, really. If that was my job description in VCD, sometimes I do it not bad, other times not so good. There, there's one person who I'm not going to name is probably the hardest one to keep organized. You can work that out for yourself, <clears throat> who that might be. So obviously Sharon Cummings, yeah. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, but Jesus is sending them out. I mean, before we send off teams to India or if there's teams go off to the work with the refugees in Cali or wherever, there's always an itinerary of here's some essential items you may need to take with you, right? Essential items. Here's, and there's a list of them. And they would include money, definitely. They definitely would include a spare pair of sandals and uh, a few, maybe, maybe a few extra clothes with you and things like that there. But here's Jesus, and he is sending out his disciples on their first missions trip. And he's saying to them, don't take, any, don't take any money with you. No bag for the journey. No extra shirt or sandals or staff. Because for the worker is worth his keep. It says, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. That means don't even book accommodation before you go. Now, could you imagine if we sent the guys out 
to Cali that have been out and saying, where you go? Good luck. Basically, you know, we're not going to book accommodation for you. You're not going to take money. You're not going to take provisions. And away you go. And Jesus says to them, take nothing with you. And I used to read this passage. I don't know about you, but I've read this passage many, many times. And the same account is in three of the Gospels, the same, the same part of Jesus' story. And in each of them is the same. And I used to read it and I used to think, you know, Jesus is really wanting to increase the faith of the disciples. He wants them to go in faith. That's why he says, take knock them with you. He wants them to every town they go to, every place they go, he wants them to have faith that God is going to supernaturally provide. And I think that's right. I think that that is definitely a big part of the story. Jesus is saying, go and I will take care of you. Because Jesus came into the world with nothing. And he came in his ministry. I mean, he, he relied on, on, on God to provide through people and through different places and different families and all that there sort of thing. And there's part of it is definitely where Jesus is saying, go and I, my father will provide. But I think that there's more to it than that. I think Jesus is saying travel light. I think that he is telling them that I don't want you to be burdened or in any way weighed down by the things that you need to, you think that you need to carry with you for this journey and for what I'm calling you to. Um, and as I read this this week and I've been thinking about, about what I wanted to talk to you about this morning, I really wanted to lean into, when Jason was talking last week, he started talking about simplicity. And I knew I was speaking this week and I almost was like going, stop, don't say another word. I want to talk about that in detail. I want to go there in further, further detail because I think just to have it as one point in a sermon isn't enough. Because as I read scripture and as I began to study this this week and look more and more, I was turned into Matthew. I was reminded of the scriptures in Matthew 8, 19 to 21, if you want to slip over there as well. So Matthew 8, just back a few pages from where we were. And Jesus is in a crowd around him. And as often happened when Jesus was in crowds, people came up and started asking him questions. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus lived an incredibly pared down life. He didn't have a home of his own. I think it could be for many reasons, but my sense is he knew that, that stuff would burden him. Now, I'm not saying that we should all sell up our homes, okay? Hear me, hear me in this and go on the road. Well, I'm not saying that to all of us, but who knows, to some of you, God could be speaking that to you that today. He could be putting a seed in your heart of saying, I want you to sell up everything and go. Wow, wouldn't that be a scary thought to start with this morning? But I think that, that Jesus... When I look at Jesus' life, it wasn't that he shirked the responsibility of having stuff and things. Jesus was an incredibly responsible person as you look at his life. He, he took his, his um, ministry very seriously. He took his disciples seriously. He took on the responsibility of, and actually he took on the responsibility for the whole of humanity, didn't he, when he, stood on, when he got on that cross and died for us? <clears throat> so it wasn't that uh, Jesus was encumbered or had less stuff because he didn't want the responsibility of it. There's something deeper here that he's trying to teach us. And when it came to sending out his disciples, he wanted to send them out in the exact same way that he lived. 
Matthew 6, 25. Another couple of pages back. Depending on your Bible. If you're Jason's big, big word Bible, is about five pages back because he's in the big words now. Um, this is one of, my, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying and adding a single hour to your life, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry. I love this passage. It's my go-to passage when my mind becomes consumed with worry and anxiety. Do you ever get in that place? Where your mind is just consumed by worry and anxiety. <clears throat> and this is my go-to passage. This is my go-to place where I remind myself where it brings me right down. It's like it grounds me back into the, the truth that my father will provide. Don't worry. And as our boys grew up and they would sometimes be anxious or worried about things, it's this scripture that I would point them to time and time again. Don't worry about your stuff. Don't worry about your clothes or even what you look like. Don't worry about your home. Trust God. He is your provider. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. See the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. They trust God and he provides for everything that they need. But I've been more and more felt drawn deeper into these passages. What if God, our good, good father, just doesn't want to provide us, to provide us with what we need to ease the burden of, of needing things and of our lack. But what if he didn't want to just provide for us, but what if he wanted to ease the burden that focusing on stuff weighs on us? What if these passages were also an invitation into the freedom of an unfettered life? See, life is worth more than clothes. We know that, don't we? It's worth more than stuff, and it's worth more than the accumulation of more. The substance of our lives is worth more than all these things. And yet, we're all guilty of it, myself as well as all, anybody else, that we spend so much time on the hunt for the stuff, don't we? I spent hours on the internet looking at stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest, yeah, just look at stuff. I don't order the half of it just as well because I can't afford it. But I just sit and go, oh, that's nice, that's nice. Oh, that looks lovely. And we spend... the. We spend this time looking and searching out. We're on the hunt for the stuff. And then we're on the hunt for the best possible bargain for the stuff as well. 
and we search for things, and then we're searching for them, and we're we're buying, and then we're earning, we're we're trying to earn money or borrowing so we can manage to buy the stuff, and then when we have it and we acquire it, we have to manage the care of them. And this is what I've noticed, and not just me. There's some very clever people out there in the in the world. And they've noticed that the window of satisfaction is getting smaller for each of us. You get a new iPhone. I'm an Android now, and I love it. I feel great freedom. Anyway, that's it by the by. There's other phones out there as well as Android and iPhone, but just thought about it out there. You get a new iPhone, right? No sooner have you mastered how to use it and marveled at its wonderful new features, showed it off to your friends, if you're particularly that way inclined, Jason, and... Avoided smashing in the screen. Me, I'm not so good at that. I have a really bad record of smashing screens, which is why I now have a cheap Android, so that doesn't sound expensive to change it. And, and you've had the expense of replacing it, if you're me. And then next thing, there's a new version released. And all of a sudden, this much-desired thing that you had to have, that you needed to have, that your life depended on you having. I'm speaking to the teenagers because this is how you all talk to your parents. You cannot go to school unless you have this new phone. Can't possibly go out with your friends or do anything like that there. Jason, what are you doing? You looking at teenagers? Don't look at the teenagers. Don't look at them. The adults are just as bad. I'm just picking on the teenagers for a minute. Am I talking too loud? <laughs> okay. Oh, the stand down a bit. Sorry. Jason wants me to take the stand down a wee bit. Not too far, I can't see my notes. Yeah, it's grand, thank you. <clears throat> and we want the newest one. Then we, so this, and the window of satisfaction is getting smaller and smaller. Where we once would have, save up for something. Our parents, my, my, my dad, for years, never had a credit card or anything else because he always just saved up for whatever it was he, he needed or wanted. Doesn't that seem like an alien concept? Let's be honest. Where, and where now it's like, oh no, I need it. So we buy now, pay later. And marketing, all of marketing is focused around this crazy cycle of this dissatisfaction, then short satisfaction, and then dissatisfaction again. And it's no wonder we're all stressed, overwhelmed, and anxious, and broke. It is a vicious cycle, and we are marketed Everywhere we look, literally, this cycle is what runs marketing companies. And I know I was joking with the teenagers, but actually, you aren't immune to it either. This is an immense pressure on our young people. It's immense. You know, as, as adults, we remember the days where, I remember the days where I used to get trainers from the market in Cookstown. And that was all right. You had a new pair of trainers. You always a designer kid, JC. Yeah, you see, you're always it. I wasn't a designer kid. But the pressure on our young people and teenagers now to fit in and to feel like they're included by what they're wearing is huge. Surely there's a way we can help them to cut through all that. Surely there's a better way for us to live our lives. Jason talked last week about clearing out his wardrobe. Now, this is what I feel I need to publicly say. JC was 15 years late to the party, Okay. I've been doing this with the boys' clothes for about 15 years. And eventually he gave in because I wanted a new wardrobe. And instead of us getting a new wardrobe, he cleared out his so I could put my stuff in there. Isn't that great? Win-win. Simplicity at his absolute best. It was brilliant. I was so happy about it. 
when our boys were smaller, I'm not going to go on the whole ins and outs of it, but there's three boys in three years. So basically, Caleb grew out of stuff and his stuff moved down a shelf. Micah's moved down to Matthew's. Matthew's, by the time he had it, there was a small bag for the charity shop and a large bag for the bin. And that's kind of how we worked. And then the new stuff was brought in and this is how the cycle continued and everybody was happy. There was one time, though, when I was in this cycle of, there was a growth spurt and we were rearranging the clothes in the, in the shelves. And I suddenly realized that even though I'd done my normal red out, we were still overwhelmed with stuff. I was going, I was thinking, my utility room, actually, in Tobermore in our house, it didn't even stay in the utility room. It spilled out into the kitchen. I'm thinking, my kitchen is literally full of laundry. Either dirty laundry, laundry that's just been washed and needs dried, dried laundry that needs sorted, or sorted laundry that needs to come upstairs, right? And I was standing, and honestly, I had a bit of a meltdown. I thought, I can't do this. I am completely overwhelmed by the stuff in my house. I can't get rid of the children. So, <laughs> sorry, Matthew, what is the solution? It wasn't, yeah. <laughs> um, I thought, well, what? And, and in these moments in my life, and I'll be really honest with you, anytime I have a good idea, I blame it on the Holy Spirit. Because I know he's way cleverer than I am. And I had this brainwave that I blamed on the Holy Spirit. I thought, what if I just decided, right, they need, I don't know how many pair of trousers I chose, how many T-shirts. And I thought, right, what do they need to live with? And I wrote down a number for each thing, and I ruthlessly went through the cupboards. And instead of just having half a bag for the charity shop, I think I had about four bin bags for the charity shop. And I just gave it away. It was liberating. Oh, my goodness. I knew that I would feel freer from the stuff, but I didn't realize that my mind and my spirit would feel so free. Fifteen years on, and to be honest, our boys pretty much still have a capsule wardrobe, don't you, Maddie? You know what that means? Just a few things. Yeah, pretty much. And you know what? They're okay with it. They're okay with it. Yes, there was times, I'm sure, when they were teenagers, they thought, oh, I could do a few more sweatshirts. Ma, I've been wearing the same one all the time. I go out. This is my going out sweatshirt. Might need another one. <laughs> and uh, things that got there. But I'm hoping that the principle that they have found and discovered in their life is actually there is a joy in simplicity. There is a freedom in simplicity. So where in your life do you feel overwhelmed and burdened by your stuff and things? It's all different for all of you. Some of you, I have seen your um, hot presses. Oh my goodness, I am so impressed. I, I mean, it's unreal. It is, they're so organized and everything's pristine. So for you, this is not your problem, right? But I'm guessing that for all of us in this room, there's something area, some part of our lives where we are overwhelmed with stuff and things. Here's my advice. Ask God to lead you into simplicity. You see, I know that the times that God has, there's so many times, there's been so many times in my life before I was a parent and certainly since then for sure, where there, I have been faced with a difficulty or a situation where I cannot find a solution on my own. And the Holy Spirit comes and he whispers in my ear. Invite him in. Invite him into that conversation. Say, God, the next time you feel overwhelmed by something, see that as an indicator. Say, okay, God, 
how, what do I need to shift? What needs to change? What do I need to do? Holy Spirit, come and tell me how I can simplify my life so that I can live my life the way Jesus did. So that I can live this unburdered, unfettered life that Jesus encouraged his disciples to lead as well. See, if we could find a way to do this, it would lead us beyond the worry and anxiety that managing all our stuff brings. Father God's desire for you and me is that we would live free, unfettered lives. So just invite him. Invite him into it. Invite him in. See, here's, my, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do a wee checklist. And every so often, I think it's really helpful that we do a checklist on our stuff. You see, this message would not work in India. I was thinking about that this morning, actually. This message would be alien. I could never, you know, take this message with me when I'm going over to speak to the guys over there and minister in Grace Fellowship Church. It would be like, they'd be looking at me like going, what? You've more than three pair of clothes, three sets of clothes. You have more than whatever. But for us here, we're here. This is our culture. This is where we live. I would love us to do, do a checklist. Checklist on your stuff. We are slaves to the consumerism in our culture. And I'm more and more convinced of it. And I want to be free from it. Do you want to be free from it? Here's my wee indicator of how I know when I'm getting overwhelmed. Do you ever go away on holidays or go away for a few days, right? You go away for a few days and you've, you've packed your case or your bag. Now, we all get a bit stressed and fret about what we're going to put in the bag, right? What are we going to need? What emergency might come up? Some of you are a wee bit emergency people and everything has to be packed just in case. How many just in case people? No one's admitting it. There's a few. Thank you for your honesty. Yes, thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, all across the room. <laughs> the just in case people. The just in case people get particularly stressed and fretted and may even be known to, to check in an extra bag just in case when they're going anywhere, right? But do you ever notice them when you are away and you're, you're somewhere and all you have is the contents of that bag? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it so freeing? You get up and you think, what am I going to wear today? And you have a wee rummage through your bag and you think, oh, that was easy. I'm going to put that on. You know, if you have a cold, you're not looking in your medicine cabinet and thinking, oh, there's 40 different things in there. What could I possibly take for this sniffle? It's like, okay, I've got paracetamol. That's going to have to do. But there's an incredibly freeing thing in this, isn't there? One time we went on holidays. We were staying in an apartment. And I so loved it that I decided we were going to move in the apartment as soon as we came back to Dungana. And we looked for a couple of weeks. And then I suddenly had this awful revelation that all our stuff would not fit in. How terrible is that? See, I'm still learning too. I'm completely still learning in all of this. But it's the stuff that steals our freedom. And back to the, the checklist. Honestly, excess, ac no, assess, thank you. Two words, very similar. Assess your life. Assess your stuff. There's nothing wrong with stuff. But there is whenever it begins to control you instead of you controlling it. So here's some questions. And I'm going to start with the big ones, okay? Right? So um, this is, I really felt permission from Jesus today, okay? that I was allowed to provoke you a wee bit, all right? In the most gentle way possible. But I want to provoke your thinking because I want, this is your checklist, this is your stuff, but I want to provoke a wee bit of thinking, okay? So you're going to all be kind to me? Okay. 
Nobody's allowed to throw anything at me. Do you still need two cars if you have them? Sorry, Derek. I'm not looking at you as I'm talking about this, okay? I'm just throwing the big one out there. If you're blessed enough in your household to have two cars, do you still need them? Now, there may have been a time that you did, but there's a lot of time, money, and effort that goes into running two cars. And sometimes our circumstances change, and we don't maybe need it the same anymore, but because we've always had two, we just keep two. Just throwing that out there, okay? Just want to provoke your thinking, all right? You're all still friends? Good. Do you need 10 coats, Jason? I'd probably argue that no one needs 10 coats unless it's part of your uniform. And you have lots of different uniforms that you have to wear as part of your job and you have 10 coats as part of your uniform. Maybe then you need 10 coats. The rest of us, I don't think we need 10 coats, okay? Just putting that there. But then if any of you were to look at the pile of books at the side of my bed, you may question how many books a person needs as well. Right. See where I'm going with this? This is for me, totally. How many Pyrex dishes do you need? Adult woman in the room, how many Pyrex dishes do you think we need? Pl plastic lids, yeah, well, whatever. See, I, I went through my kitchen. I suddenly realized there was no space in our kitchen to put stuff away. And Jason was going to me, Michelle, there's no storage in our kitchen. There's no storage in our kitchen. And I suddenly went, it's not the storage that's the problem. There's plenty of cupboards. We just have so much stuff. So I ruthlessly went through my kitchen. And I love kitchen stuff. Oh, my goodness. It's my weakness. Glasses, wooden spoons. I had eight wooden spoons. Who needs eight wooden spoons? No one on this earth needs eight wooden spoons unless you're a professional chef. I mean, you don't need eight wooden spoons. And I went through and I eliminated all the, all the duplicates. Got rid of them. I thought, no, actually, and now I have my wee favorite. All different shapes and sizes, because that was important. Pyrex dishes, so many. But I didn't allow myself to keep any duplicates in that. And do you know what I found at the back of the cupboard? All my beautiful stuff. All my lovely stuff. And you're allowed to keep that, okay? That's the rule. Anything that is beautiful, sentimental, and brings you joy, oh, keep it over the rest. Get rid of the practical stuff. Get rid of the plastic lids and boxes and all that stuff. And keep the beautiful stuff. You see, beauty is absolutely permitted and 100% celebrated. Consider the lilies of the field. When we look around this world, God has furnished this world with the most, oh, amazing, breathtaking beauty, hasn't he? Have you ever stood and looked and just thought, wow, God, did you need to make flowers? And like, if, you, if we see, uh, let me think of a type of flower, tulips. Did he need to do them in so many different colors? It's amazing, isn't it? When you look around, I mean, beauty is everywhere. And beauty is something that reflects who God is. Don't ever eliminate beauty. Keep beauty because it helps connect us to our creator God who, is in, oh, who created with extravagant beauty. But have you ever noticed that sometimes the beautiful things get lost in the access? You know, we go, when you go to um, museums or art galleries, they have this great way of simply displaying things, don't they? And sometimes the smaller the thing the more space around it, so that you can actually look in and see the beauty of it. But if everything's all cluttered and there's a pile of stuff, like my mom has, has got, my mom collects lots of things, but <laughs> for their 25th wedding anniversary, everybody bought her crystal, which is beautiful. 
But instead of clearing out an existing cabinet, she bought a new cabinet. That's just completely full. So every time I look at the cabinets, first of all, I break out in a sweat and I think, please don't ask me to dust that ever. <laughs> and secondly, I think, you can't see anything. You can't actually savor or enjoy any of the individual things because it's just completely packed. So as a pastor and a leader, I think it's my job and responsibility to speak into our culture. That's kind of, that's part of, that's part of my job. Um, and I don't want to go into all the ins and outs of it, but whenever we had our financial crash about 10 years ago, whenever the recession hit, and it was caused by greed and we can blame the banks and we can blame all sorts of, of things for it. But really when you boiled it all down, greed was a big part of it. Um, buy now, pay later schemes, increased in debt, credit card debt, payday loans, encouraging people just to keep borrowing and borrowing and spending. Um, and, and all that happened, and, and I used to work in the bank for 12 years. That was my previous job. And I kind of knew this was, I kind of felt, we all felt like it was coming. We didn't know how the crash was going to come, but we just knew that this wasn't sustainable. The amount of debt that even as a cashier, I was being asked to encourage my customers to take on just did not sit with me. It just was not, it was not a good thing. And you kind of knew that there was brokenness in our, financial, in our financial system. And in my spirit back then, I knew something was wrong. But equally, we've been told that the reason and the way to recover our, our financial situation has been to spend, spend, spend. And it's almost like, do you ever hear the old expression, spend, spend, and the Lord will end? Do you ever hear that one? No? Maybe it's just you, Jason. I've heard say that one. But anyway, <clears throat> but it's like we spend, 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 and then we'll worry about it someday. But here's why that approach makes me feel uneasy. First of all, it feeds into our consumer-driven, materialistic idolatry. It's like it totally feeds into this consumer-driven culture that we live in and this idolatry where we put things over God. One of the commandments in Exodus 20 is do not covet. And what does that mean? Well, it means we don't look at what our neighbor has and want and desire or, or really, really want it for ourselves. And even the strong root of that is that we want it for ourselves to the extent where we would take it from them, right? The same word is used, the same root word is used um, in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve desired the fruit that was forbidden to them. The desire for stuff can easily become all-consuming and it can easily take the place of Jesus in our hearts. And that's where it becomes idolatry. The second thing that I don't think that our approach to spend, spend, spend works, it fuels our overwhelming suffocation of stuff. After we've desired, we've got it, you've looked at, you have to look after it, store it, sort it, all that. And number three, it encourages our selfish, sinful nature to be more me-driven, I must have, I need, I deserve, I'm entitled. But I have a kingdom solution. And I blame all my good ideas on the Holy Spirit, right? So this is not new and I don't claim it as my own. And it's in the words of my good friend, Diane Cummings. And it's this. We need to learn to live simply so others can simply live. Now, when I put this into Mr. Google, he said that it was Mahatma Gandhi said it. Mr. Google also said that Mother Teresa said it. But from the right on, we are saying Diane Cummings said it. Okay. <laughs> So 
So let me ask you a question. In this recession recovery that we've been told about, that we have to spend, 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 has the gap between the wealthy and the very poor increased or decreased? Has the gap increased or decreased? Increased. In fact, it has increased <coughs> so much that now we have a phenomenon called the working poor, which we never had before, where people who are literally working and working, some families have maybe got three jobs between them, just trying to make ends meet. And across UK and Ireland, we've seen an increase in food banks, people depending on them, and a significant increase in people who are working having to access food banks just to survive. So my kingdom solution is after we do our checklists with the Holy Spirit, okay, we invite them into every area of our life and every cupboard and garage and shed. And after we ruthlessly eliminate the stuff that we don't need, that's burdening our lives, that's weighing us down, then we begin to intentionally look at what and how we purchase things. Now, I'm not going to tell you how you should do this, right? I'm not going to do that. Just like the, the checklist pre-clear out, this is between you and the Holy Spirit, no one else. But the next time you have a family meeting, every time you used to call a family meeting, our boys used to hate it, didn't you, Maddie? Oh, my goodness, just all hide. Everybody hide. I go, family meeting, and they go, oh, no, I have homework to do. And they get down here. We're going to have a family meeting. So anyway, next time you have a family meeting or you're, you're talking about your finances, invite your friend, the Holy Spirit, to come and sit at the table. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and help you go through your bank statements, your spreadsheets, or in our case, a scribbled list and a jotter. And ask God for a plan. How can you master? How can you become the master of your resources rather than your resources mastering you? Ask him for a plan in your spending. You're planning for your future and your generosity for others. And also, I really want to say this. If you're struggling financially right now, then I cannot recommend CAP highly enough to you, Christians Against Poverty. They are the most wonderful organization that will help you with your debt, will help you see a way through, will walk you through it with prayer and support and everything that you'll need to help you get through that. And if you want to speak to me afterwards, I can give you their number and put you in contact with them. They are brilliant, right? <clears throat> you don't need to suffer and struggle on in silence in this. I've loved Jason's quotes the past few weeks and he's been quoting very, very intelligent people like Walter Brueggemann and all these people. I like to prefer to quote Diane Cummings. And I'm also going to quote Rhonda Smith, another legend in my life. Rhonda um, has been, if you haven't met her, she's been part of VCD from the very start. She's now currently a missionary in Uganda. And she spoke here in the summer. And when she was home, I went and picked her up at the airport, um, mainly so that her and I would have at least two hours to talk in the car on the way back up. And Rhonda and I love to talk about development, about education, Downton Abbey as well. We're big Downton Abbey fans. Politics, world affairs, and all that kind of stuff. But here's always Rhonda's question. How do we fix that? How do we fix it? So we'll talk about it all, and then it's like, how do we fix it? And then we're off for about another two hours trying to come up with some solutions. I really miss her. Um, but when we were coming back up the road from Dublin Airport, she really startled me with this statistic, and it has burned in me since she told me this back, way back in July. If the, world, the whole world lived like the developed Western nations, basically we would need four planet Earths to sustain us. Now I texted her and I said, can you clarify that information for me? And she says, please go and research it because I'm not quite sure of my source. 
which I did. So I researched it this week. And these stats that I have are from 2015, so they probably have changed for the negative from then. But this is like the world's population. So can you see <clears throat> there's seven plus, plus seven billion people in the world. So if all the world lived like Bangladesh, that's how much of the world's resources we would use. See there in green. In India, if we had the same lifestyle as Indians, it would be like this. Uganda, a wee bit more, can you all see? In the next slide, if we lived like Nepal, we would be 1.9 planets we would need. France, two and a half. United States of America, 4.1. And United Arab Emirates, 5.4. See, this asks a really big question about development, doesn't it? And I think that I don't want us to feel guilty or anything like this here. And for me, this is not an environmental issue. This is a justice issue. This is about justice to the poor. This is about the people that we meet in the villages in India, the, the people that I now recognize and know their faces because we've visited them so many times. And I'm, I'm expecting them to live on a dollar a day so that I can sustain my lifestyle here in the UK. And by the way, the UK, we're 32nd on the list and we would be consuming, the world would be consuming 2.4 planet Earths if everyone lived up to our level of how we live. You see, <clears throat> it's not about keeping the poor people poor. And it's not about us being guilty about what we have, but some way or other, and it's going to be really hard for me to do this with a microphone, we need to do this. We need to strike a balance. We need to be able to find a way for our world to be able to sustain these seven point whatever billion people that live on it. The kingdom answer is never the poor being kept poor and using less. There needs to be a level playing field. There needs to be a level playing field. And I don't have time this morning to go into it, but if you want to, you can look into this. But in the Old Testament, the law that God gave us was all about a level playing field. Time and time again, we see it. You weren't allowed to lend to your fellow Israelite and charge interest. And all through scripture, it talks about usury. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I mean, our current system, that just it seems impossible. But unfair and excessive charging of interest is wrong. That's why you've heard us before. Like Things like Wonga, those payday loans and everything are completely crippling and wrong and evil, actually, on people's lives, what they do to them. In the Old Testament, every 50 years, there was a jubilee. And what that meant was that every 50 year was your jubilee year and all property would automatically revert to its original owner. So say 30 years ago, your dad got into some kind of financial trouble and he couldn't, he couldn't keep his land and he had to sell it and just to provide for the family. Well, when it came to the jubilee year, that land went back to that family again. And it was all about leveling this playing field. It was all about making sure that everybody had enough, that there was enough for everyone in the whole place. It also meant that if you got into difficulty and you had to become a slave to someone else, you were freed every 50 years. And God wrote this into his law. If you look through the Old Testament, again, widows and orphans were, respons were the responsibility of the whole tribe or community. Now I need to land this before I go off on one of my tangents, okay? Because this is what the stuff I love to talk about, justice. 
But our broken culture of overconsumption is killing our souls. And the broken world culture of gross inequality is actually killing the lives of the poorest and therefore the most vulnerable in our world. What if we joined this already growing revelation of living simply so that others could simply live? We ruthlessly eliminate the stuff, excess stuff, and instead of hoarding the excess money, we could save from consuming less for ourselves. We share it out. The truth is, already so many of you already do this. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. You're generous people. And this is not a call this morning for you to give more money to VCD or even to the projects we're involved in. This is bigger. This is greater. This is more wide-reaching than that. And I am personally really challenged. See, I want to live a freer life, unburdened by worries of what I wear and consume. And I want to live a free life. But when I look at this through the lens of justice, I see that with my freedom, I can also free others. Isn't that the kingdom all over? That we get free and then we get to free others with it. I love it. There's no condemnation this morning. None. And if any of you are feeling condemnation or guilt this morning, I break it from you. My prayer is freedom and that liberation. I want us to live free kingdom lives. Free from the burdens of life that weigh us down and distract us. And just as Jesus longed for his disciples, that he would send us out in the same way. That he would send us out to announce the kingdom unfettered and free. Would you stand with me as I read his mandate that is also ours. Look for. And I want to pray this over us. This is the mandate of Jesus, and this is his mandate to us. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Father God, Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Fall on us, Holy Spirit. Fall on us. God, we want to live free, unfettered, unburdened lives. Free people that free people. God. Lord, it's a mandate that you've put on us as a church. That we would be free people that free people. Mm. Lord, your will be done. Your will be done in this place.